Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome back, listeners, to the... Well, it depends on how you want to categorize it. All right, so it's technically the fifth installment in our Godzillaverse franchise. We kicked it off with the 1963 American version of King Kong versus Godzilla. Now the title is flipped. It is Godzilla versus Kong. They shortened it a bit there at the end. Now it's technically the fourth film in the new legendary slash Warner Brothers universe. So if you haven't listened to our reviews of Godzilla, Kong Skull Island, or Godzilla King of the Monsters, it's been a bit. We started this retrospective series in February 22nd. Mm-hmm. So it's been almost two months since we uh, have begun and well for now we are ending this series so if you've missed any of those episodes these movies do loosely follow each other so in the description below we do have links to all of those episodes so you can go back you can catch up and while you're down there make sure to check out we've got a lot of stuff down there not just links to these episodes but we have curated lists of other podcasts we think you would enjoy listening to after this one we have timestamps if you're ready to just jump straight into the review timestamps are always down there as well for the podcast reviews we are on all major podcast platforms so links to all of those links to our facebook twitter official website links to our patreon page where you can support us financially that would really help and you get great bonus content as well and that's the easiest way to for us to see it and for us to interact with you one-on-one and of course if you're wondering what's coming out after this one well we always uh let you know the next four weeks so about the next month in advance of what episodes are coming out and of course you can explore the entire 2021 release schedule as well there's a link to that one last thing is no matter where you're at it does really help us to leave a five-star rating and a short written review that really does help with the algorithms hear that all the time the algorithms and the rankings that is a great way to freely support us it does help and it does help us meet our goal of becoming verified critics on rotten tomatoes so i am curious alan will the trailer for this movie was it going to get you in now get you in front of your tv i guess is what i should phrase it as <laughs> uh no <laughs> i can't I can't oh, say that, that, it, that it would <laughs> um and that's because I haven't really followed this monster verse, and it's been a pretty loose monster verse, right? Um, since they decided to start doing it because of with Kong Skull Island, um, I haven't really been into it. Um, I haven't followed any of this, any of the movies for this universe at all um, until this review, with the exception of Kong Skull Island. So seeing this like Avengers like movie, but with monsters <laughs> now. Um, uh, I would not be interested. Uh, so no, I wasn't really looking forward to this in the first place. Um, I didn't even know that there. I was starting to get confused as to which ones were which beforehand because of Kong, or it was Godzilla, Godzilla King of Monsters, Godzilla versus King Kong. So 
No, that's the answer. In a short, in a short <laughs> answer, no. In a long form, still no. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to take the opposite approach. It took us a long time, as I said, to get this trailer. But once we did, I thought it looked very exciting. I was actually surprised. It looked like it was taking a couple thoughts that never really made it into the final product for the original King Kong vs. Godzilla and even the sequel. Um, but, you know, I was very curious to see this movie. I got to say, I wasn't necessarily excited because of, well, just go listen to our reviews of the previous films. Mm -hmm. But I nevertheless was optimistic. I thought this trailer looks good. It at least looks like we're going to get something fun. So a little bit of mixed feelings for me going into this one. Well, listeners, if you have not seen Godzilla vs. Kong, it's been a while since it's been out. And of course, with HBO Max, it's a kind of a ticking clock situation for these new movies. So by the time you're listening to this, you could be out of time. We did release this review later, even though we're reviewing it a couple days after release. We're releasing the review later to give you as much time as possible to see this brand new movie. If you haven't seen it, we are going to talk spoilers right now. So if you don't want it spoiled for you, go ahead and click pause. Go ahead, head over to, you possibly could go to your local theater maybe, but you can definitely go over to HBO Max, stream the movie if it's still there, and then come back and click play here on the podcast and we'll be ready to talk about it. Well, I guess this is kind of payback. <laughs> um, I was thinking always, the same thing. Yeah, you always have the complicated reviews and at least so far in the last number of months it's always been Corbin gets the most complicated review or plot summaries. I always get the more simple ones. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's I get it. This is me getting a complicated one this time. So. <laughs> not today. Yeah, yeah. I get Yeah, not today. All right, here it goes. It's been five years since King Godir was defeated. Since then, the public's perception on Godzilla has started to wane, helping none by his attack on the Apex Cybernetics factory. CEO of Apex Cybernetics, Walter Simmons, meets with the Hollow Earth theorist and author Nathan Lind to discuss his theories. Lind heads to Skull Island, where Kong is being contained, bringing Simmons' daughter, Maya, with. He convinces Eileen Andrews to move Kong to Antarctica, where he'll lead his crew into an outlet of the Hollow Earth. After some convincing, Kong is released. It doesn't take long, however, for Godzilla to hunt down the crew and start picking off the ships. Kong is released from his shackles, and the two titans fight in the middle of the ocean. Since they're on Godzilla's turf, Kong is easily bested. The big monkey and the crew safely float away from Godzilla after playing dead. They make it to Antarctica, and, just as Lynn said, Kong heads straight into the tunnel, leading them to the center of the Earth. The crew hop into specialized ships and follow the monkey. In this new land lies an ancestral throne room. Here, we see the remnants of a battle fought long ago. Kong places the battle axe in the floor, and this does some stuff. Uh, I'm actually not sure exactly what it's, what it's doing, but Maya sends out her robot to start collecting samples of the energized ground and begins sending it back to her father. They will use this makeup to then power the new Mecha Godzilla. Well, the real Godzilla almost foils this when he shoots his atomic breath into the ground, destroying the power source. Now with the new hole straight from the Kong Kong to the Dero Center, Kong and friends fly towards Godzilla. Now while all this is happening, Madison, the same Madison from the last movie, has an adventure of her own getting to Hong Kong. To make a long story short, she listens to a Titan Truth podcast hosted by a conspiracy theorist who also works for Apex Cybernetics. One thing leads to another, and a pod of scrollcrawlers is blasted to Hong Kong for a test run with Mechagodzilla. They discover the mechanical Titan is being powered pow partially by the school of King Godira, and controlled by Dr. Sirozawa's son. 
but it doesn't take long for the robot to break free and obtain a mind of its own. Okay, so back to the main plot. Both Titans are now in Hong Kong, and King Kong has an axe. The two fight, utterly decimating the city, and Godzilla bests Kong again. But Mechagodzilla bursts forth, and the two begin fighting. Mechagodzilla nearly kills Godzilla, but King Kong suddenly is revived by Dr. Lind, who uses one of the ships to shock the monkey awake. The giant robot is no match for the two Titans when they join forces, and they defeat Mechagodzilla together. Afterward, the two part ways, realizing that there really can be two Alpha Titans. Madison and her father reunite. Godzilla remains the king of the above ground, while King Kong returns to the below ground in Hollow Earth to forever reign as credits roll. Yeah, it's a. Uh, it wouldn't. I gotta say this. It wouldn't be a new Godzilla movie if it wasn't convoluted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's that's fair. <laughs> you, you're it's right. Most- that's kind of been the case the last uh, couple movies. It looks like. Yeah, yeah, especially when I wrote up the plot for the last one, I was like, my gosh, this mm-hmm. is so convoluted. But anyways, we, we can talk about that in a little bit. I got to say the opening of this movie for me is equal parts funny and exciting. I like that they're kind of doing the Kong School Island approach where it's not uh, we don't wait to see Kong because we've already this, we've already seen Kong in other movies before. You mm-hmm. don't have to hide him like we've never even seen him before. Godzilla comes out swinging right away. I thought that was a good hook. But it's also kind of funny because the this character played by, um, I don't remember his name now, Brian Tyree Henry, I believe. Bernie is the character's name. He mm-hmm. is funny. And I got to say, I'm just kind of liking the way it's filmed. So immediately, I'm hooked. I don't, I don't know about you, though, Alan. Um... i'm curious to see where they're gonna go because you're right they do start off where kong is already captured right we're not gonna worry about reviewing kong again um he's noticeably older this time but he's already captured um and we kind of see that he kind of knows that he's captured when he takes the tree uh well the yeah he takes the tree and lobs it into the sky and it gets lodged in one of those uh i guess reflecting screens or whatever mm-hmm. um and then twist. yeah godzilla changes which this was a bit of an abrupt change for me and maybe we'll bring it up in a, in a bit but godzilla is goes from being the good guy to all of a sudden being the bad guy when he mm-hmm. destroys the apex cybernetics factory um I, i'm guess i'm a bit conflicted with this opening because i do like what they're doing with with king kong where you know he's still as expressive if not more more so than Kong Skull Island, but he is noticeably older. So I'm curious where they're going to go with yeah. that. I don't really know how to feel with Godzilla's side of the story here, though. Yeah, I want to say it's... So it's during the Kong Skull Island takes place right after Vietnam ends, which was in the 70s. So this movie is 40 plus years after that one. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, he did age quite a bit. He looks quite a bit older but i like that they are making this action-packed straight to begin with right and they are kind of giving us a point of view character this character bernie he's just really funny and he's really trying to infiltrate what i can't help but think of as kind of the skynet of their world this whole apex cybernetics just makes me think of skynet Mm -hmm. so I've got to say, and yeah, I was really um, surprised by that twist of 
Kong is kind of now in his own Truman show yeah. in a way. Uh, he's, he's just kind of locked in this dome, which really surprised me. And I'm glad they didn't waste time with showing us how he was trapped and whatnot. But I think the one thing that this movie is doing right is they are returning to the old sci-fi films of the 50s and 60s, where it's not really about the characters per se. It's mm -hmm. more so about the wonderment of this world. And it's more so about the adventure and how they are going to kind of solve this crazy problem they've gotten into. It reminds me of some old sci-fi films. I'm going to wait to the end to recommend those to you before I bring them up right now. But nevertheless, I think we are in for something more sci-fi than we got with the other ones. Because the first one, the first Godzilla movie, was just trying to be this very realistic emotional drama. And this right. one is not that at all. Right, yeah. We've definitely shifted quite a bit from that original God, or I guess I shouldn't say the original Godzilla. The 2014 Godzilla that kind of kicks her to this whole monster verse. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I They are ba basically... Um, only having these human characters as just uh, a way for the story to move along without relying too much on these monsters, right? The monsters are the fun part. The humans are essentially what builds them up, right? So then from, I mean, I haven't seen too many of those older monster movies like you have, Corbin, from, but from what I have seen, yeah, you're right. It feels like they are kind of going back, kind of hearkening back to that those original films, right? Where the human characters, there's not really much to them. But again, their their role is just to be a vehicle, right? And I noted in the last film that they did a, a I noticed that they were that's what they were that the route that they were going down was that they were going to take these human characters, not really do much with them, have them kind of bare bones, but then be more of that vehicle, right? It's the same thing here. They're really, I think that there are a lot more characters that like have a hand in the plot and have some kind of something to mostly invest them, if you want to say. Um, but they're very card. They're very um, two dimensional characters. They're not meant to be very anything super deep. That the, the main focus here again is the two monsters. There are just more characters here. Yeah, and you know, I also like that the visual effects have improved even over the last one. Um, the attention to detail with some of this stuff, like mm -hmm. when Kong is chowing down on fish from the ocean, you get to see like their blood and their bones just kind of ripped apart and coming mm -hmm. out. It's not graphic or anything, but just that attention to detail. And also we get to see some of these creatures really close up, like when they're in the hollow earth and they're like fighting these bird bat things. Those look really weird. You actually get to have a close up and enjoy the design of these creatures. Um, I just really appreciate that. And I think that's almost kind of bringing me back to the original King Kong film, which we have reviewed link for that in the description below. That movie was really ahead of its time with how detailed it was right. with its creature designs. And that's something people noticed was how Kong's fur moved and whatnot. So I think they've captured that again here with the attention to detail and also just uh, the scale of some of the shots. I think it's a great looking shot. That super wide shot of uh, the giant Kong in the rain touching the little girl's finger together. It's just a really gorgeous looking scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I do agree. I think that my favorite, I think my one of my bigger positives is when they do get into like Hollow Earth. I, I think it's called Hollow Earth, center of the earth, mm -hmm. like when they get down <laughs> to that area, 
because then it feels like they're like now we have a, an area to really stretch their creativity, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a whole, it's a brand new place. Um, and you really kind of get to see like, are there other monsters kind of like um, Godzilla and King Kong that live in the middle of the earth? And to a certain extent, I guess. Um, but they do get to kind of have some fun and be a little bit more creative down here. And this ended up being my favorite, uh, I guess, moment of the film was, you know, it's, really not diving too deep into realism at all (laughs) it's very much going towards um fantasy at this point i would say but uh that's not necessarily a a bad thing right and again for a film like this um they're not necessarily focused on realism at this point that that's kind of you know that's kind of like a this not even go that down down that route so, yeah, I, I will have to say, and I, I will bring it up in a bit, because while it is my favorite moment in the film, it's also um, a moment where I um, just about lose my mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but for I, I do agree, you know, when they get down into the center of the earth and, and stuff, and they kind of have a moment for you to just kind of see, you know, what all is down here and all the creativity that they come up with with these new monsters. They don't spend too much time on it, but it is... Mm-hmm. I would agree when it comes to attention to detail um, or even just crafting a world. This is a good example of it. Yeah, I got to totally agree with you. That is my favorite part of the film. When they are in this kind of land before time, interior of the earth, it's a sci-fi slash fantasy lover's dream. Oh, yeah. And it's good that you brought up fantasy because this movie definitely eschews anything to do with reality. And that's what I was just speaking to earlier is this is harkening back to those 50s and 60s movies where film they're at a point with visual effects where sky was the limit almost with what they could do or create and they were really pushing the boundaries and i think they're really trying to bring that again here is what if we did what if we tried to do those things they did in the 50s and 60s but now we can make it actually look good Mm -hmm. and look real with the technology um yeah there's like that dragon snake um just the vistas really looked incredible with the floating rocks and just the way the planet looked uh even with the music all combined together i put in my notes i'm loving this part Mm -hmm. of the movie because it does look so inventive it's so creative and i was this is honestly what i wanted i guess i didn't even know i wanted this until i saw it is yeah just go fully into the fantasy it's already about a gigantic lizard and ape don't try and make it realistic because it has it's already not realistic so by going like full bore into creativity sky's the limit i think this movie is the most creative one we've seen and i'm really happy about that yeah and they are like you mentioned like we've been talking about right they're not really wanting to go down the route of realism it kind of started off that way right with that 2014 godzilla that was very much um trying to go more for that for realism um and they've kind of they've definitely shifted since then um i gotta say corbin did this did this center earth thing remind you of a movie called upside down um (laughs) Because it, it it did a little bit for me, especially when Kong is like, there are like rocks that are kind of like floating between um, the two halves. And mm-hmm. Kong like touches a few of them and they just kind of fall down to the other side, or I guess the top part. Um, 
because it that reminded me a lot of that movie. If you haven't seen it, not really worth the time. Um, <laughs> but it deals with two planets that are like about to collide or whatever. You know what? I have seen that movie actually many years ago. I forgot about it until you brought it up. I was like, this is this reminds me of something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I forgot. Kirsten Dunst is That's in right. that movie. I have, I guess I didn't rate it, so I have no idea what I thought about it. Um, I do kind of like that whole upside down world type thing. Um, pretty sure there's an anime like that as well. Yeah, anime there might movie be. That I can't remember, but yeah, I know. Um, I know in Chris Stuckman's review, he said that was a missed opportunity that they didn't have Kong and Godzilla fight um, yeah, with the true. shifting gravity, kind of like an in inception. So, yeah, that wasn't totally original, but nevertheless, it was interesting to do with like the like the axis of the Earth and mm-hmm. how it's kind of like caught right in between the axis of the Earth's gravity and how that flips around. They don't do much with it, but it's kind of cool. Um, and of course, it kind of taps into that childhood idea of could we dig a hole and come out to China? Right. You know, yeah, that's because true. Yeah. Um, Godzilla is in Hong Kong and he shoots with his fire breath a hole directly into the center of the earth mm-hmm. and Godzilla and Kong both like kind of roar at each other through that hole, which I just thought was kind of ridiculous. But I was like, okay, we're already this deep into this kind of kind of fantasy. Sure. Sure. Godzilla can shoot his fire breath, making a hole to the center of the earth. Right. Why not? Right. And part of me wants it to go like farther down that route right they just Mm -hmm. go off like if you're gonna go down this far right and maybe they'll do it in future movies i mean i guess we'll see um where you have uh like a hole in the center of the earth that's like an entirely new environment um that starts to maybe rip off a little bit from journey to the center of the earth but beside that (laughs) um you know if you're gonna go down this far like i wanted to go a step further and just keep going right and maybe in future movies we'll see this where they just go completely off the rails with this kind of Mm -hmm. thing um, or maybe they do have Godzilla and King Kong fighting in, down in the uh, in that area, and they're just in anti gravity going back and forth between those two forces fighting each other. Maybe we'll see something like that. Hopefully, we do because that'd be amazing. But yeah, again, this is one of those things where I'm just like, well, I like it what I'm seeing here. I wanted to go even farther. I wanted to see how far they were, they're willing to push it. But I don't think that's going to be a thing for a long time. Well. That is how the film ends with Kong down in his new habitat in the center of the earth. Mm-hmm. So it is possible that we'll it's see the future movies. I got to say, I had a lot of fun with the fights in this movie, especially considering the first fight between Godzilla and Kong mm-hmm. in the 1963 film and how utterly lame that was. This first fight is awesome because Godzilla, like a canoe, tips over the aircraft carrier, which Kong is stuck to. Mm-hmm. And so he's fighting chained to an aircraft carrier upside down underwater. And they they do some really um, interesting stuff with where they kind of place the camera on these creatures, like right up on their face or right underneath them. I like that too. Right. But you know what? I got to say, this is how you do it. You recreate these kind of old musical cues and over-the-top action sequences, but with modern technology and it is exciting. I was like, they really did make this exciting for me. How their Kong is just like jumping from ship to ship. And somehow it doesn't crack the hole or anything like that. Right. It's perfectly fine. And then they get in like a boxing match right on the ship. 
it's insanity. And I'm like, yes, this is what I want. I want to just see them go crazy. It's really fun. And with the old stuff, they couldn't do it because there's, you know, two sweaty guys in costumes, you know, <laughs> flailing around. Whereas yeah. this, they can actually make it look good. So I don't know about you, Alan, but I got to say I was having fun with the fights. This first one definitely was uh, probably one of the better ones in my mind, just because it is like you're most definitely like I mentioned in the pause summary. King Kong is on Godzilla's turf, right? He's in the mm -hmm. water and Godzilla is very much a king of the water, right? So you already have he's already at a loss when Godzilla comes and attacks um, because of that. And so it makes for an interesting fight when they're on that aircraft carrier. And like you said, they're just having a punching fight. Um so yeah, I would say this is probably the more, uh, at least in my mind, this is probably the more like uh, creative of all the other ones that we have. Um, mm -hmm. When we get into, and, it, and it, is, it is fun here and it is fun in, when they get into Hong Kong too. Um, once Mecha Godzilla comes out, then <laughs> things start to change for me like a lot. But oh, okay. we'll, we'll talk about it later. But yeah, no, I do agree. <laughs> um, this feels very much like it's, it's it feels like it's playing homage to those old films uh, or to that original film. But mm -hmm. at the same time, it's just like, yeah, you you can't do stuff like this. Um, not back in 63. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I, I do agree. The 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 fights are definitely more of a, of a positive than they are a negative for me. Um, they're they are fun, especially this one. The, the opening one, I think, is a lot of fun when they finally meet. And it's like half an hour in. So it's like pretty quick that these two yeah. enemies get together, which I was partially expecting it to be like it is in that original film where they we don't get it together until about the 40 minutes Damn. in or whatever, um, or even longer. So I'm mm -hmm. glad that we got to get them together and have them fight pretty early on. Yeah, I think the pacing in this movie is pretty good. Mm -hmm. It's the shortest of all of them. And I appreciate that. I feel like there's really... Uh, okay, I'll save that for a little bit there is some fat i think in this movie that actually probably either could be trimmed or given more purpose we'll, we'll get into that into a, in a minute mm -hmm. but for the most part i think it's fairly well paced i think they kind of have their goal they know we want to get to these fights and that's what something adam wingard was saying is godzilla 2014 was the one where you had to wait half of the runtime just to get to see godzilla and see all of that happen Right. He said, we've seen him already. Let's just have these guys duke it out and fight. And then these characters can do other things. So I think the pacing is well done. Um, I also wonder what you think, Alan, of King Kong knowing sign language. That's a new one. So I thought the way they kind of had him connected with this deaf, he, I, I'm pretty sure he just learned it from the deaf girl watching her. He's intelligent enough. He learned it. I thought it was fine. I thought it could have gone badly very quickly, but I think they kept it in check just enough. Now, if Kong mm -hmm. is forming full sentences, we're in trouble. But <laughs> thankfully, they didn't go that far. <laughs> yeah, they didn't go down the uh, uh, Planet of the Apes route where, <laughs> you know, he they first start off with the sign language in that first movie. And by the last Starts movie, talking. they're speaking full sentences like a human. <laughs> <laughs> Although, oh now that we've talked about this movie just kind of going off the rails, maybe they'll do that someday. Oh, please, no. <laughs> oh, pardon me wants that to happen, but... Um, what? <laughs> just because, just just because. But okay, back to your the actual question that you're asking. Um, I think it's fine. 
I just wish that they did something with it because they they bring it up here and it and it's it comes up when they're on well right when Godzilla attacks again. Do they bring it up again after that? Because I feel like after that, that kid, I think her name is uh, Jaya, I think is her name. Or mm-hmm. Jia. Yeah. She like disappears. She's an Iwi. <laughs> and so like it, they brought they bring it up a couple of times, but then they don't really do much with it. At least nothing constructive, I felt, except for that they had a secret bond through for who knows how long and no one noticed until now. Yeah, so they do set up the possibility of consequences. Ultimately, it doesn't follow through with it, unfortunately, mm-hmm. because she was they were telling her to to tell Kong through sign language that his family is down in the center of the earth, so they should go down there. Right. So that is they feel bad because they're lying to the little girl and they're lying to Kong. Now, once Kong realizes that all of his predecessors are extinct down there, there really isn't time for any kind of emotional fallout between him and the little girl or between the little girl and anybody else because they're immediately attacked by, uh, well, a lot of people attack them. A lot of things attack at that one single instance. Mm-hmm. So you're right. They introduce it as a possible moral quandary, and then they're like, oh, wait a minute. You just want to watch the monsters fight. Yeah, yeah, let's just stick with that. Right, right. And that, that's kind of, I guess, that's my stance on it is I like the idea, but they don't follow through with it. Because, I mean, that's kind of right. another spin on that, you know, where King Kong came from, right? Where it's beauty that killed the beast, right? He's infatuated mm-hmm. with a woman. Um, but in this case, it might not be that exact same thing. It's more of like a like a more of a, of a deeper connection um, with something else, with somebody else, right? Yeah. Going down the same route, I can see where they go down, maybe down a different route with that kind of a thing where it was, where, versus the original film, but they don't really do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I did think it was kind of fun that they were trying to pay some homage to that original film. Uh, they used the helicopters with these giant cables to transport Kong up into... Oh, I think Antarctica or something. Yeah, because yeah, they had to transport him. Anybody having to transport him into uh, over a helicopter because they destroyed all the <laughs> ships. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just thought that was fun to see that callback. Um, I gotta say, I they don't really explain it in this movie, as far as I could tell. But Doctor Shirazawa, who spoiler alert, died in the last one. Mm-hmm. The Asian character in this one is Ren Shirazawa. Right. So I can only assume that's his son. Yeah, that's that's what I put in the plot summary is that it is his son. Although um, the actor who does play Ren Sirizawa, which is Shun Oguri, I think is how you say his name. I'm 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 guessing I probably butchered that. I'm sorry, <laughs> but he's like a like a really famous actor um, in Japan. Um, this is like his first oh, time is. being in a, an American film. He's going to be in one I think earlier, um, but then it ended up falling through. But this is his first time mm-hmm. being. Um, in an American film. It's too bad his character uh, doesn't really go anywhere. (laughs) Doesn't do anything. Yeah, I was disappointed that I was like, I actually had to look it up. I was like, oh, that's probably Sirizawa's son. He unfortunately really has no role Mm -hmm. in this movie. Um, He does control Mechagodzilla for a little bit, which was cool to see. But the other thing that didn't make any sense is at the end credit scene of King of Monsters, it's Alan Jonah, the eco-terrorist who purchases the King Godira head 
Right. Whereas he's no, as far as I could tell, unless it's a really quick drop line, he's nowhere to be seen in this one. Somehow Apex Cybernetics, which we've never even heard of, has the Godira head and is using that to power the Mecha Godzilla. Right. Which is a cool idea, but there are some serious continuity issues there. Yeah, I just did a search to see if he was in the cast list. Uh, Alan Jonah? Nope, he's not there. So, yeah, they bring him up and he buys that head from King Godira, but then um, he just disappears, I guess, at some point. Which, all right, fine, that's okay with me because he was pretty useless in that last movie anyways. Yeah. You know, I got to say, I'm also loving the music in this movie. I think it's fantastic. I'm exhilarated when they follow Kong into the hollow earth. Mm -hmm. And I got to preface, I am now able to listen to... Dolby Atmos with a full surround setup. And this scene in particular is dynamic. It's the mixing is fantastic. Um, especially in Dolby Atmos when they're going into the earth and there's, it really plays with the sound space across you. And there's kind of this modern day beyond the infinity from 2001. And then they're falling. I gotta say, I love that scene. And if you have Dolby Atmos, put that on because it is gripping it's crazy yeah i can't say it compares to standard stereo <laughs> <laughs> that's what i watched it on just the, my own tv so yeah I, I did notice the music this time i did notice i was liking what i was hearing um but i didn't get exactly that same immersion as you did yeah but what did you think of junkie xl score well like i said it's uh i i noticed it and from what i heard i did like it um <laughs> okay but I maybe have to go back and listen to it on its own um, mm-hmm. to know if I like it. I really like it or not. But I usually like Junkie XL stuff. So, um, yeah, like I said, I did notice it this time, which is a, a good thing. So maybe it is good. I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know. What did you think of uh, Kong's axe? He kind of has his own like Excalibur, like Leviathan axe sort of thing. Oh, yes. Kong's axe. Um well, so I mentioned a little bit ago that while uh, the scene, when they go down to Hollow Earth, I said it was kind of simultaneously my favorite scene, but also follows a scene that maybe would just about lose my mind. Um, <laughs> so, when, and I don't know if we want to bring this up now because this is when the, this is when the, when, when Kong picks up his axe and then I realize, oh wait, he's actually going to use that. That was mm-hmm. when the film broke me um oh yeah <laughs> so oh, that's okay. i guess that I kind of previews my thoughts as to what i think about kong's axe um so yeah there you go yeah i mean i i'll just come out and say i was surprised but i guess i liked it because it's a very primitive tool and he's capable of clearly learning some sign language so there's some intelligence he doesn't have the um nuclear breath nuclear firepower like godzilla does so seems like he needs a little something to give him the edge mm-hmm. it was kind of surprising to see that in the trailers but yeah 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 and you know i'm gonna say it mecha godzilla's reveal and it reveals that they use these skull crawlers i like that inclusion to basically mm-hmm. just practice with the power and potentials of mecha godzilla I just thought it was awesome. And of course, once again, they play with the scale really well. Uh, just fun to see him. It feels like I'm all of a sudden, it feels like I'm in a video game where, you know, yeah. Mecha Godzilla is just ripping up these skull crawlers. 
Yeah, we'll talk about being in a video <laughs> game here in a bit. Uh, okay, we'll get there in just a minute. The last few things that I have to say is um, I liked that Kong needed a recharge, kind of like in the original movie, except this time he's not struck by lightning. Mm-hmm. Just the power of that thing goes off. Um, there's that kind of cute scene at the end with Nathan and the little girl, Gia. Uh, he's saying you're a brave little girl in sign language, but it's actually coward. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought that was kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there is some comedic lines in this. So I'm glad that there's still kind of some lighthearted comedy retained here when the boy's name is Josh Valentine. He said, I only took one, I only took HTML at summer camp. And that guy said, oh, yeah. HTML at summer camp, was it a 90s camp? <laughs> I thought that was funny. That That is kind of funny, HTML at summer camp. Because, well, if you're a nerd, you know that HTML is a very basic and are kind of also at the same time somewhat archaic language. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay, Alan, rip away. Just rip into this film like I know you've been <laughs> waiting to do. <laughs> All right, well, what do you want to hear first? Uh, the part that broke me or the video game aspect? Um, let, Let's go with the video game aspect. Okay. So, one, and this kind of, this started to stir when Kong, like, finds that, oh, I need to place the X in the ground, right? That's where I'm like, uh, is this going to go down like more of a video game route? <laughs> and, and it, it kind of does for from there until the end of the film. So yeah, he takes he picks up the axe and then puts the axe in the ground and it lights up some I don't even know what it does, really. It's just something that uh, makes my nice blinky lights. Um and then, then from then on it just feels like it's like just a video game, right? Because Kong goes up to the city and then he has to dodge the atomic breath and he's got to charge up the axe by blocking the atomic breath. Then he can use the his axe. So it like, and then after that, Mecha Godzilla comes out. Um, so it's an even harder boss this time. And so from mostly from then on, once he picks up the axe, this is when I really got like a lot of video game vibes off of this movie. Mm-hmm. It, maybe not necessarily a horrible thing, but it definitely felt like a video game to me. Yeah. So the axe powers up and it creates like a Godzilla symbol in the floor which to me shows that it's like now fully charged for him to go and take on Godzilla and his nuclear breath. And somehow that's the power that Kong can unlock. That's the power Apex wants to Mm -hmm. fully power Mega Godzilla, which kind of becomes its own thing, I guess. It doesn't need the human uh, brain controlling it anymore. It's able to kind of use that power somehow to right. now fight both of them. So yeah, it is like a video game. It is like leveling up. It is, all, all I could think of was like God of War. And I could just yeah. think of Kong just yelling out like, Atreus, like boy, bring me my ax. <laughs> I need my ax. That's all I, I was, could think of. I was waiting for the ax to just come flying out of the ground and have Godzilla catch it just like in God of War. I was, I was actually kind of sad that it didn't happen, but I, I was <laughs> waiting awesome. for it to happen. That would have been awesome. Um, you know, one of the things that I am disappointed about, like majorly, like seriously disappointed about is I'm excited to see they brought back Millie Brown and Kyle Chandler. They brought back Madison and her dad, mm-hmm. but there's really no character 
to either of them. They're not dealing with the loss of their mom. Yep. Their their dad, her dad just kind of shows up at the beginning like, hey, cut me a break. We're trying to figure this out. He shows up at the very end in Hong Kong to do nothing except reunite with Madison. So we do have two different stories. We've got, um, there's a lot of characters in this movie. Mm-hmm. But they kind of split them off. And that seems to be a theme with all of these movies is you have two parallel stories with, you know, separate characters doing stuff. Uh, Madison, Josh and Bernie's story is kind of pointless. I hate to say it, but yeah. I can't think of what they accomplish whatsoever, except temporarily pouring water into the computer to temporarily short circuit Mechagodzilla. Yeah, they're so they're I, I in my notes, I always called them the B plot. Right, because the main <laughs> plot is really Godzilla, right? They're the B team. Yeah. So the B plot of this story, you're right, Corbin. I, I think that this doesn't really go anywhere. Um, in in reality, they don't do anything to further the plot. They ha- their actions do absolutely nothing for the story, um, except for portraying uh, information to the audience that Mechagodzilla is a creation of Apex cybernetics and that uh, it's a bad thing and that's why Godzilla attacks in the first place, right? That's what we learned from them, but they don't cause, they don't, they don't, they don't cause anything, right? It's always that they're just in the wrong place at the wrong time, except for, like you said, maybe hindering Mechagodzilla by pouring water on the computer, which only <laughs> kind of does something. And, this is a kind of a big negative for me is that if I were to take this out completely, like say we were to take out this entire B plot, there wouldn't be anything that we would change. Um, we would just be, we would just know less information, which uh, is not that big of a deal. <laughs> so I feel like B plot could be completely taken out. I don't see a reason for it to be here at all other than, other than to have some comedic relief and to bring Madison back. Yeah. I mean, I was happy to see them back at the first. I thought they're going to have something to do with this story because they're pretty integral to the last one. Mm-hmm. Come to find out they're really not at all. There's a brand new set of characters. That's fine. I like having new characters in these movies, but they don't do anything. And you're right. I think if you remove them completely, I don't think the story would be any different because they don't have any special knowledge. They don't really actually do anything. Um, which was very disappointing. Uh, the only thing that I could see is they may be trying to emulate more of a late seventies or eighties kids kind of fantasy movie like the Goonies or flight of the navigator or something where there was always kind of a kid perspective in those Mm -hmm. movies. And I could see, you know, Adam Wingard, you know, definitely a fan of that kind of stuff. I could see him wanting to bring in a younger perspective and kind of make it more of that younger adventure for kids. But at the same time, for those who appreciate the older sci-fi stuff, he was bringing that in too. It just doesn't quite work, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I the, I always, when I finished and I was writing up the plot summary for this, I was, and I, on, also partially like organizing my notes, that's when I was like, you know what? They don't really do anything. <laughs> That's when I kind of came to that realization <laughs> and I, I almost wrote the entire plot summary without the minute. Um, that's yeah. why I put it down as like almost like a, like a, like a footnote almost in the plot summary that, oh yeah, by the way, at the same time that all this is happening, Madison's also doing things too. Um, it really doesn't 
go anywhere. It doesn't really mean anything. Is not the film does not it's not going to hurt without him. I don't think. I was getting very worried at a certain point that this was going to be like um, Finn and Rose's story from Star Wars: The Last Jedi, mm. where they go on. Did you see that one? Yeah, yeah, I've seen The Last Jedi. Where they go on this big excursion to the gambling planet. And I know that yep. was like everyone's least favorite part of that movie. Yeah. Because it was long and it was seemingly meaningless. So I was really worried. I was like, oh no, this is just going to be some weird detour to pad the runtime. And it mostly is, unfortunately. Um, yeah, I clocked it. Kyle Chandler reappears an hour and eight minutes into the film. That's pretty close to the end. You only have about 50 minutes or so left until credits are like rolling. Yeah, yeah, he reappears to, in Hong Kong, and then he disappears mm -hmm. until at the very end when he reunites with his daughter. Right. Yeah, that's right. I was also feeling like they were kind of ripping off Transformers a little bit, the very first one, where, um, oh, shoot, I don't remember their names. Um, I remember his character's name, Nolan. Um, let me look real quick. Oh, Shia LaBeouf? No, um... So, Anthony Anderson, no, his name's not Nolan. It's Glenn, I guess. Who, who's Nolan? <laughs> I don't know. I just made, I just made that up. Anyways. <laughs> make it no, up it's Anthony, <laughs> Anthony Anderson, who plays Glenn, and Rachel Taylor, who plays Maggie. I felt like it was kind of going off with their story a little bit in some mm -hmm. ways. Now, I haven't seen that movie in a long time, but it just, it does seem like there's not enough for our main characters to do that they have to have a sidetrack characters as well, which right. I'm not crazy about. Um, the other thing is there's just some kind of more nitpick stuff for me. Uh, I think it's in the opening credits. They have like Kong versus Godzilla and like these brackets, like it's a sports kind of thing mm -hmm. um, where it shows, it shows like uh, Godzilla defeats this one or Kong defeats that one. And then ultimately it shows them head to head in like actual like, Final four basketball brackets that just look dumb. Oh, That's yeah, more of a yeah, yeah. Um, also, I feel like they're kind of retconning the story because I'm pretty sure in the last movie, they're in the nuclear submarine, they get sucked into the vortex and transported to that Atlantis like city, which mm. we're supposed to assume they went through the hollow earth type thing and or they at least went through one of the tunnels. Whereas this one, it sounds like. They couldn't go through the hollow earth at all without this apex material. I was just kind of confused on that. Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. Because they talk about, oh, well, we need a Titan to lead us to where we need to go to get to the hollow earth. It feels like it's just like a straight shot when they really get down to it. Um, because they let, they let <laughs> Kang Kong loose and they're like, oh, he knows exactly where he's going. But from what yeah, we see, it looks like it's just like a straight shot. Like, just go, just go down this tunnel and don't stop going straight and you'll reach it. Have they not sent ships <laughs> down that way or some kind of like remote uh, drone down these columns? Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, they did bring up briefly in the beginning that our main scientist played by Alexander Skarsgård, he lost his brother. His brother tried to go through it mm -hmm. and he died. But Apex, the creator of Apex says, my ships can withstand the gravity reversal, or the crushing gravity or whatever. Right. So, but then what's the point of Kong? Because they've clearly already opened up this hollow earth, like really wide for them to just go straight through. Um, yeah, good point. That's 
that whole thing seems to have been fruitless or just forgotten. So I uh, think it's just set up for the end because they reused <laughs> the ship to miraculously save King Kong, which is a, I mean, I, I know that they want to go like, I know that they want to, you know, do that over again, like pay mm-hmm. homage to the original film. Um, right. Also, I feel like it's just like a weird way of going about it. Right. We have these <laughs> ships that have these gravitational things on them that have enough energy to bring a monkey back to life almost. Um, I think it's just like a, a roundabout kind of a way to get to that that point. But I guess it's more of a nitpick. Well, Alan, I'm very curious. Why did this movie break you? You, I got to know. I got to know why it broke you. Okay. So, and I kind of brought it up a little bit ago. It's It has to do with the video game section. Part of me is, and I, I kind of mentioned this a little bit ago, right? I wanted this film, if it's going to go down this fantasy route, um, and it kind of already is doing this. Like, if it's going to go down this route where it's not really worried about realism, it's more or less just having fun. You know, why not just go all the way? Now, I'm not going to say that this movie's bad because of that. Um, but more that I would like to see that kind of a thing, right? So it feels like at the same time, we're almost to this point where it's just almost over the edge where it's just completely off the rails, but we're like, we're not, right? So when he picks up that ax, it's, it's played very straight. Um, it just feels like, like at first, like, okay, whatever. He's, it's just going to be some artifact that he uses for, to get something, which he does, and then picks it back up and then fights Godzilla with it. Um, I guess you bring up a good point, Corbin, that, you know, it is something that uh, he uses that's like the same as Godzilla's atomic breath. It's like that kind of a thing for Godzilla. Um, but it just seemed weird to me um, that they would use a battle axe to give <laughs> King Kong in a movie like this. Um, I would, I mean, it just feels like it's kind of going away from the source material at that point. Um, which isn't, I guess, a huge deal because they can, I like to see whatever, I like to see what more they can do. But I guess because I was already kind of bored and I found this would be extremely predictable, um, which we'll talk about here in a second, um, that once King Kong picked up that battle axe and then began to use it a bit later on, that's where I'm just like, okay, well, it's (laughs) it's lost me now. So I guess that's a, a roundabout way of explaining what my feelings were when that scene came up. So with that scene, and then you clearly weren't very pleased with Mechagodzilla, it sounds like, and this whole end, is that, did it kind of like ruin it for you? Is that, is that what I'm getting from that? It's, it's kind of a number of different things. Um, It wasn't necessarily that it was Mechagodzilla's fault, or it it was more like, I guess, I guess you're right. Maybe it was like a culmination of all these things that, that once it, once you picked up the battle axe, I'm just like, all right, well, (laughs) so. um, Yeah. Yeah. I thought Mechagodzilla's inclusion was nicely done. It wasn't overbearing and it was really fun to watch all three of them fight at the end. And then they kind of had to team up, which wasn't too much as a, of a surprise. If you've seen Batman v Superman. Yeah. Um, there was some good shots there at the end of the fight with Kong kind of like crawling through the city. That's something we've never really seen before. Uh, Cause it made the city feel, made him feel so big and the city feel so small. I thought that was cool. But as far as the source material goes, it's way beyond that. Kong mm-hmm. would have never, ever used any kind of weapon. And it is surprising. But I will say there was a bit of a setup possibly for it in Kong Skull Island. When he's fighting the main, uh, the devil skull crawler, whatever it's called, he does use the chain with the um, 
propeller or the rudder or whatever it is of that ship when he swings that around as a weapon. So right. he has used other weapons before technically, but it was surprising, but I thought, well, we've entered Saturday morning cartoon area at this point. Let's just go with it. I'm just going to go with it. I'm not surprised. And this honestly to me to me does feel like what if we gave a Saturday morning cartoon a 200 million dollar budget? And made it fun. Now, right. there's other cartoon movies that I think are garbage, like um, Hobbs and Shaw, that Fast and Furious one. Oh, that, yeah. <laughs> that was like that was- a literal cartoon, and I was so frustrated by it. But this one, I was embracing just the crazy 80s cartoonishness. But I can understand your viewpoint as well. Mm-hmm. It's not for everyone. It is kind of like, oh, what? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and like I mentioned, right? Um, those fantasy elements, I would love to see them go farther. I, I do like that they kind of like they're almost for me. It feels like it's more like a tease, right? Like mm-hmm. this is um, some more creative elements, some more fantasy like elements to a story that really, from where it came from, is only kind of fantasy. Um, if you if you want to consider it that um, and stuff, so I can see why they would go down this route, and I would love to see more. Um, but from what I'm seeing here, right, it, I'm not, I've never really been a fan of the series already. (laughs) So (laughs) seeing it go down, you know, this route, I'm just like, I'm pretty much already done going, almost going into this. I mean, of course I always go in with an open mind. Um, but there you go. I, once I reached that moment, I was like, all right, well, (laughs) that's all right. So I kind of mentioned this a second ago. And this will lead into, uh, I guess, a big discussion or a big question that I'm, I'm sure kind of harkens back to the original film. Um, so I found this movie to be, I don't know about you, Corbin, but I found this movie to be really, really predictable. Um, of course, I didn't know going in that Mecha Godzilla was going to be here, right? Um, but when Bernie sees the eye after the attack from Godzilla, when he sees the eye of, or I guess it's during the attack, the eye of Mecha Godzilla. Um, which you can find, come to find out later that it is indeed Mechagodzilla. I immediately knew how this film was going to end. And I called <laughs> it out like really early in my notes. And mm-hmm. that was that Mechagodzilla is going to be here. Godzilla and King Kong are going to fight. Godzilla is going to win. And then Mechagodzilla is going to come out and floor Godzilla, causing King <laughs> Kong to come back. And they're going to be victorious together. And there won't be one, it won't be like, one titan wins it would be that they can both rule together they can they're both going to win they're going to be a team um and that played out exactly how i predicted it um mm-hmm. so i don't know about you what like did you find this movie ever predictable at all because like, when it comes to the titans aspect yeah, i thought it was extremely predictable yeah i predicted for sure that godzilla and uh, Kong would have to team up against Mechagodzilla. I knew that was going to happen for sure. I had no idea that was a, the eye of Mechagodzilla. I, I didn't even know what that was. Mm-hmm. Just some big red circle sitting there. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, okay, what's that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's pretty obvious that Apex was the bad guys in this whole situation. Um, I will say I... D- wasn't sure about why Godzilla was um, ripping up Apex's place. And that's because he sensed the remnants of King Ghidorah 
powering this new machine. So I didn't really understand that until the movie literally told me. Right. But um, there was a couple surprises in here for me. Unfortunately, I knew Mechagodzilla. I heard other people say he was going to be in here. So unfortunately, I knew that. But once I saw the battle going where Mechagodzilla was so powerful against Godzilla, I was like, okay, yeah. Um, and it's kind of like I just said, it's a $200 million Saturday morning cartoon. Right. It really is. There's no real character depth whatsoever. But basically what you are supposed to sit back, have fun, and enjoy it. And yeah, the plot is pretty paint by numbers. Um, the only time where I felt like it wasn't predictable is when they went into the center of the earth. And he's mm -hmm. fighting snake dragons and bird bats. And he's getting his like Leviathan axe. And he's like king on the throne, like he's Conan the Barbarian. I was like, what? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I didn't expect that. And they're like floating rocks and he's like flying up into different places. Everything else was predictable. The middle of this movie was not for me. So one of the taglines for this movie is one will fall, right? Mm. So it's already and they, and of course, the promotional material doesn't bring up Mechagodzilla because it's meant to be a surprise. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. So... Do you feel cheated at all that it, there isn't a clear winner as to like who really wins between Godzilla and King Kong? It's more like they both win and the one who actually fell was not who we expected. It was Mechagodzilla. Like, do you feel cheated in that? Because I know that's like a big point of controversy as to who really won in that original film. Yeah, that was controversial for the original film. And it wasn't very satisfying how it ended. So that's what I was kind of worried about was one of them won't win but then at the same time i was worried that i honestly don't really want to see kong just sh like straight up chop godzilla's head off <laughs> with yeah. his axe because it's kind of like you know watching your dogs play and then all of a sudden they get in this vicious fight where it's like oh yeah yeah they're just like wrestling and then it's like oh my gosh pull them off of each other right now yeah and i just could see that going that way so Ultimately, I think I'm not disappointed. I was I was thinking like, how are they going to resolve this? But I can see why some people would probably feel cheated. I guess I don't because I felt like the inserting Mechagodzilla placated me enough to make me not feel cheated is how I put it. Okay. Yeah, I guess I'm just a bit. I'm also curious. I, I, I guess... My my thought is on this is I don't really care. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, okay. yeah, I, I, know, I don't really care who really won. I figured that I, I like I mentioned, I predicted how it was going to end like way beforehand. Um, so I am curious to see what other people's really like what other people think of this movie. If they like um, how it ends, whereas uh, basically a tie between the two of them. Or if they feel cheated where they want like they want a definitive winner between Godzilla or King Kong. I think it's a, a little bit strange that they're building it as one will fall, like clearly saying that, you know, somebody's going to win here. Um, but then kind of cheap it with Mechagodzilla, putting Mechagodzilla in there since it is, again, a point of controversy since that old, old since that old movie. It's a bait and switch for sure. Yeah. And I almost feel like that's probably what they had to do. Because they don't want to probably make fans too too grumpy about one of them going on. And it's pretty clear they want to continue this franchise since mm -hmm. at this point it has grossed. I'm sure it's grossed uh, a lot of money. <laughs> 
at this point, not including not including this new film yet, it's grossed one point four billion dollars. Okay. So when all, all said and done with this one, it's be it's going to be close to probably two billion dollars okay. franchise. So they wanted to continue. And yeah. I mean, that's just how I felt with Batman v Superman is I don't want to watch them actually murder each other. So that's kind of the problem is uh whereas on the other hand i can watch freddy versus jason and they can i don't care which one dies mm -hmm. in that kind of a movie but this one eh. and especially with kong they're making him all cuddly he knows sign language he wants to go home godzilla seems more of the villain which i thought was an interesting kind of subversion of our expectation from previous ones but right i gotta say I'm good with how it ends. I have no idea how in the world. Um, I will say it's also a retcon because if you'll remember, King of the Monsters ended with all of the monsters bowing down to him. Cut to this film. They're nowhere to be seen or heard from, it seems like. Right. Yeah, you're right. They're, they've gone into <laughs> hibernation, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I guess so. Right. All too convenient. Well, Alan, all of that being said now... I feel like you could I feel like you could actually go both ways on this one. Mm. You haven't been uh, as forgiving with the past films, but who knows? Maybe this could make the difference. We'll see. I'm very curious, Alan. What is your rating and recommendation for Godzilla versus Kong? I guess it kind of speaks a lot to um, what my thoughts are, where I went to go prepare for this uh, review. No more than I watched this on Wednesday, and we're recording this a couple weeks, a couple of days after this, right? So it's pretty fresh. It should be pretty fresh in my mind. But I sat there trying to write out like like the things I liked and things I didn't like, and all the things in between, and had to remind myself what all happened in this plot because I had completely forgotten. Um, so I guess that is a great way to kind of express you know what my thoughts are on it. I don't really care. Um, for this movie, I found it to be, like I mentioned, very predictable. Um, it did lose me at a moment in the film. Luckily, it was towards the end. Um, there are a lot of things here that I feel are just kind of wasted space, like Madison's entire side plot. I don't see any good reason for it. Um, Gia's connection with Godzilla, not Godzilla, but King Kong is brought up and they it feels like it's going to go somewhere, but then doesn't go anywhere. So... And of course, like the big draw here is King Kong versus Godzilla. And while the opening fight is pretty fun, when they and then the also the one in King and Hong Kong is is fun as well. Um, I ultimately don't really mind any of this. Like I don't really care for any of this, and I haven't really minded much of it since the beginning. So I guess it's kind of on par um, for the this Godzilla versus King Kong retrospective we have going here. So. Uh, I think it's a fine, very mediocre film, but that's about it for me. So I'm going to give it a, a five out of 10, but it's not going to be a recommend for me. Oh, again. Yeah, <laughs> I I thought about a four and I was like, uh, maybe a bit too low. Six is way too high. So it's a five. Well, Godzilla versus Kong exceeded my expectations. Following three mediocre, loosely connected films, I didn't expect much from the director of VHS and the second sequel to The Blair Witch Project. I stand corrected. Adam Wingard made an awesome film. 
What makes this one stand out amongst the rest is introducing nostalgic plot elements from childhood sci-fi films and amping them up through modern visual effects. Yeah, this story is kind of bug nuts, but that's exactly what it needed to be. We caught glimpses of lighthearted fantasy in the last film, but it still felt tied down by emotional drama. Our characters here aren't deep, but they are likable. Brian Tyree Henry is hilarious, Rebecca Hull is charming as usual, Alexander Skarsgård is fine, he just doesn't do much. And speaking of disappointments, Millie Brown's inclusion felt shoehorned in since she does nothing noteworthy. I'm glad to see her and Kyle Chandler back, I just wish they had a purpose for being here. I was getting Finn and Rose vibes from The Last Jedi, but thankfully Madison, Bernie, and Josh's storyline isn't as much of a letdown since they didn't put too much weight on it to begin with. The visuals are gorgeous, the action is exhilarating, and the sound mixing is transportive. If not for our trio's weak subplot, I would give this film a higher rating. This is exactly what I wanted in this movie. Straight up awesome action, a unique storyline that pays homage to old ones, and just to have fun. I don't need an emotional drama in my Godzilla or King Kong movies. This movie honestly makes me excited for the future of cinema. We have enough bleakness in reality. It's time to return to lighthearted, creative science fiction fantasy. Godzilla vs. Kong receives 7 stars out of 10 with a strong recommend. For a second there, I thought you were going to give it an 8. Oh, okay. So I was going to give it an 8, but if it wasn't for Madison's subplot, that really kind of knocked it down for me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I think we're both in agreement there that that subplot is uh, pretty weak at best. <laughs> it is. Yeah. So, okay. <laughs> As for our average rating across the board, you your average rating is a 5 out of 10, mm-hmm. which ultimately means you probably don't recommend, recommend the franchise on a whole. Right. I think I rec- did I recommend Godzilla 2014? I, th- I think I like barely recommended it. So you gave it a five, but you technically recommended it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's right. I think that's the only one I've recommended of this entire series. So yep. if I if I were to recommend the series as a whole, if I've had tendencies about right, uh, it's going to be a not recommend from me. There you go. Yeah. Um, me, on the other hand, I have actually recommended all of them. Um, I've given the first three straight sixes very, they're just weak recommends. This one is the first seven. It's in the green finally. And it is, like I said, the best of them all. Now, just for fun, if we do throw in the 63 film, since looking across the entire series, um, that actually ties our average ratings. We both would have fives, um, for both of them. And I, technically gave more recommends than not recommends but i gotta say i would i just still don't recommend that first one i recommend everything else but not that first one we hated that one yeah yeah we weren't very big fans of that one the 63 version Mm -hmm. so before we rank the films i just want to give briefly the average scores those are our averages what are audience and critics averages well Letterboxd average of a straight three, really not too bad. Mm-hmm. Um, IMDb rating of a 6.5, which is pretty average, honestly. Yeah, that's it's pretty, very average. Yeah. It's, it's very average, very plain. Um, 
Metascore of 58, which is not good. No, that's below the green, and yeah, that's not good. Uh, average Rotten Tomato critics of 68, which I gotta say for this franchise, I think is really not too bad. Almost 70%. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that, uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely high. I mean, I, th- I don't think it's considered rotten at that point, but yeah, that, that is high for the series. So yeah. And ultimately a Rotten Tomato audience score of 78%. So mm-hmm. it's just kind of split. It seems like it seems to be a bit of a divisive device yeah. of however you want to say it seems to be kind of divided on uh, people think it's just very mediocre or in your case, you think it's just really subpar. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas other people just find it to be pretty good, but not great. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm curious, Alan, how would you rank these movies then? So I'm going to rank it as 2014 Godzilla is on the top, then Kong Skull Island, then Godzilla King of Monsters, and then Godzilla versus Kong, and of course, 63 King Kong versus Godzilla. Now, these are so close, those middle few, that, that being Kong Skull Island, King of Monsters, and this one right here, those middle three are really close. They could almost go in pretty much any order at that point. So there you go. They're all really close, but I still think that 2014 Godzilla to me is the better of the few, um, but not by a whole lot. So, yeah, that's interesting. Mine is totally different. <laughs> I wonder <laughs> <Except> for one <laughs> thing. <laughs> so mine is uh, Godzilla versus Kong at number one, Godzilla King of the Monsters at number two. Kong School Island at three and Godzilla 2014 all the way down at number four. And then if you want to throw in the 60s version, yeah, that definitely comes in at number five. Interesting. So I'm assuming, do I do I even need to ask if this is a pickup or pass? Uh, no, it's not going to be a pickup or pass for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not surprised. And... For me, I wrote down in my notes, absolutely, with two exclamation marks. All right, Alan, so you're not recommending this one, but what other either movies or TV shows, or maybe even video games, since we talked about that, do you recommend? Uh, The remake of God of War. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, But in in seriousness, um, I did mention Journey to the Center of the Earth a couple of times in this. The remake, I haven't seen the original. I need to. Um, so I'm going to recommend that one. Um, and also kind of 2012, it's a Roland Emmerich movie that is not good. Um, but if you like some destruction, kind of what happens here and you like a guy who runs a podcast or in this case, a radio show, maybe you'll like this. There you go. 2012. Those are my three recommendations. (laughs) So as far as recent recommendations go, I'm going to, uh, Say Batman v Superman. That one really did feel like this movie, and I just reviewed it, so you can listen to that review. So I also, when they were going into the Earth, I was getting a lot of vibes from two movies that made a big impact on me when mm-hmm. I was a kid, and then one which I think I've seen, but I don't remember much of. The first one is Journey to the Center of the Earth, the 1959 original version. Okay. Well, hey, at least we have both of them recommended here. Yes. Now, I got to say, I've seen both. The 59 version is so much better. <laughs> I figured. Than the Brendan Fraser version. 
Um, I was, that's why I was honestly shocked. And I think that's why I was liking this movie as much as I was is because he really was recapturing what I felt as a kid watching that original journey to the center of the earth mm -hmm. in this one. And I was so happy about that. I'm also going to recommend Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, the 1961 version, which is fantastic. And then I also was getting some vibes of the 1966 film, Fantastic Voyage, which is, there's a, uh, they get in a ship, which kind of made me think of the ship in this one and what they're mm -hmm. doing in that one. They're actually sunk down into microscopic size and injected into somebody's body. Uh, that's totally different, but it did give me those vibes of that ship going in there. Um, yeah, so I'm giving some classic recommends. Definitely check those out if you like this one. You can kind of see, well, not kind of, you will definitely see where his inspiration came from. I'm definitely curious to see that one, that last one you mentioned, because I know I've heard of uh, Voyage, but I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, I of all the movies that impacted me as a kid, it was the 33 King Kong Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and Journey to the Center of the Earth mm -hmm. really shaped my viewpoint on cinema. So check those out, listeners. Those are kind of forgotten gems, I would say. Well, I don't know if there's going to be another movie in this franchise. I'm guessing yes. Oh, I'm going to say absolutely there's going to be an extra one. <laughs> they really set it up for sequels now that we have access to the to the center of the earth. They do. And I got to say, I hope they bring back the writers and, and Adam Wingard for this one. I really do hope that. Maybe you feel different, Alan. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm scared that now that we've opened Pandora's box, maybe, of a franchise that will never die. Yeah. Well, the only piece of news that I've heard with is regarding this director, which I'm like now crazy excited about after seeing this movie mm -hmm. is from what I understand, I think Warner Brothers is handing him the reins to create a live action Thundercats movie. Interesting. That'll and be interesting. I have discovered Thundercats for the first time last year. Mm -hmm. I, for my birthday, I got the complete series on DVD. I love it. It's awesome. It's legitimately awesome. And seeing what he can do with this movie, I think he could make a phenomenal live action Thundercats movie. Oh, I'm so, curious. All I ask is that we get Ghost Jaga and Ghost Sabretooth giants fighting in the sky. For those of you who've seen the series, you know what I'm talking about. That's all I ask. Yeah, I'm completely lost. Not, I'm not going <laughs> to lie to you, Corbin. <laughs> That's all I ask. <laughs> all right, listeners. Well, the question after the show is, who really won? Godzilla or King Kong? Well, I'm not going to weigh in because I don't want to get letters. Fair enough. I'm not going to weigh in either. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listeners, well, they should have come back next week because we're going to get hop into a like a mini duology, uh, A Quiet Place. Um, the new one doesn't come out for a little bit, um, but we originally had it scheduled to for it to come out um, in a couple weeks, and we we're going to build up to it, but then it ended up not happening. So instead of A Quiet Place Part 2, we're going to be doing Bird Box after we do A Quiet Place. And following all that is our... Denis Villeneuve retrospective, which I'm very excited for. So definitely don't want to miss those. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, very curious to revisit Bird Box. I 
uh, and a quiet place. I've only seen each of them once. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious to revisit those movies. I've only seen A Quiet Place once, and that was when I was in the theater, and I haven't seen Bird Box. Um, we kind of briefly talked about it, but I didn't get swept away by all the hype that happened when it first came out. I stayed my <laughs> distance from it. Um, so we'll see what I think about it when we review it here in a few weeks. So, Corbin, thank you for joining me. Sure thing. All right, listeners, we'll see you next week with A Quiet Place. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide. Welcome back, listeners, to the... Well, it depends on how you want to categorize it. Welcome back to the... No, crap. Now I don't even remember... (laughs) (laughs) okay hold on okay technically the fifth because i'm counting the old 60s film right technically the fifth of course you can explore the entire 2020 release (laughs) (laughs) it's been five years since king godira okay i have to ask is it godira how how do you say his name am i saying it right so i've always said I've always said Godira, but in the movie, they say Ghidorah. Ghidorah, okay. I'll say Ghidorah for the movie's sake. But I like to say Godira. I don't think I'll ever change. Fair enough. I'm staying the same then. All right, let me start over.